I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are scattered among their sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, to join us here in this place, wherever we have gathered in your name, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. One of the quirks of the Anglican Church And actually, many of the historic churches, like the Lutheran Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and a few others, is that we have what's called a lectionary. This is an unfamiliar word to you. This is the document, it's in our Book of Common Prayer, that sets out the schedule of readings for us to choose from each week. They're they're laid out on a three-year cycle, years A, B, and C. And what that means is three years from now, we'll be reading the exact same set of readings that we read today. The same is true of three years ago. The whole thing just repeats over and over and over again. This is why I've always joked that the best plan for a preacher is to just change churches every three years. You can just preach the same set of sermons every time, and no one will ever know that you're repeating yourself. Sermon prep, done. Today... According to the lectionary, is Christ the King Sunday. And every year on this last Sunday before Advent, if you can believe that Advent starts next week, every year on the last Sunday before Advent, that four-week season in which we wait for Christmas, we celebrate as a church Christ the King. And normally, our assigned readings are really King-centric. In year B, for instance, remember there are three years, A, B, and C. In year B, we get the last words of King David recorded in 2 Samuel. He's looking ahead to a new and better ruler for God's people, a ruler who in time will be revealed to be Christ Jesus, Christ the King. Also assigned in year B are John's vision in Revelation 1 of Christ on his heavenly throne and Pontius Pilate asking Jesus in John chapter 18 if he is indeed the king of the Jews, Christ the king. In year C, we're actually assigned options. We get two gospel readings to choose from. The first, from Luke 19, Jesus triumphantly entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with the crowds shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Or we can read Luke 23, in which we have a very different King Jesus. In this scripture, we have Jesus with a crown of thorns on the cross, offering forgiveness and eternal life to a repentant thief. So we have a couple different visions of who Christ the King might be, but at least in those readings, we're pretty clearly talking about Christ as King. This, though, is year A. And today, our readings seem slanted in a different direction. We have Ezekiel 34, in which God casts himself not in the role of a king, 
but in the role of a shepherd, finding and caring for sheep. And then we have Matthew 25, which does start out with Jesus on the throne, separating sheep from the goats. But the overriding image of Matthew 25 is the parable Jesus tells about caring or not caring for the least of these. Those in need of food, drink, care, and visitation. And that those who are either caring or not caring for them are actually caring or not caring for Jesus himself. And get their just reward one way or another so what's going on here in year a we're we're not talking about christ the king as clearly as we might be how am i going to fit in my normal sermon about how christ the king wears two crowns a shiny gold one that designates him as a king worthy of worship and obedience and a crown of thorns that shows him to be the dying king Savior of the world. I like that sermon. Plus, I already wrote it. It's done and totally repeatable. What's this business about a shepherd and these commandments to feed the poor, to care for the least of these? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that these two readings, Ezekiel 34 and Matthew 25, though perhaps not as much on the surface, do just as good a job of setting up this juxtaposition of the two kinds of kings that Jesus is, just as clearly as the juxtaposition between the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the forgiveness on the cross. Jesus is both the good, holy, and perfect king, worthy of obedience, worship, and praise, and he is the beaten, bloodied, and dying king accomplishing the salvation of sinners. And he's telling us that same truth by being both a good shepherd and a justice-demanding Lord. So, first, a little background, a little biblical theology, if you'll permit me. The theology behind Christ the King is, I think, one of the clearest ways that we acknowledge what is a counterintuitive truth. That God speaks to us in two distinct ways. This is over against what we expect, that God will speak in one way, that he will say one thing. Let me give you an example of what I mean. For years and years... In my young Christian life, I remember being confused by one sentence of Scripture in particular. And ironically, this is a sentence of Scripture that we say every single week here in this church. One of the comfortable words, one of the sentences we say after the confession and absolution of sin. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. And I just thought that it sounded crazy. Now, it sounds good, of course, at first, but I thought that anyone with a functioning brainstem couldn't possibly believe that it was true. It couldn't be. It's just 
So clearly contradictory, I thought, to so many other passages in Scripture, and not coincidentally, contradictory to what my youth ministers were telling me, to follow Jesus, I had to be good, loving, honest, pure. This felt to me like a heavy burden, not a light one. And if we have a God who says just one thing, it's confusing. It doesn't make any sense. And I didn't have to look any further than passages like this morning's gospel reading to prove my point. I couldn't read Jesus' parable in Matthew 25 without coming away feeling burdened. And that's pretty much still true. Jesus seems to be trying to put the fear of God into his listeners. And I mean that literally, the fear of God. It sounds like he's trying to make people afraid. And it seems like he's doing the furthest thing from welcoming the weary and heavy laden. He isn't offering rest. He's reminding people of a job they have to do. A good holy and righteous job to be sure, but a job nonetheless. And when I read this story and passages like it, I inevitably remember the people standing by the side of the road who I haven't helped. I drove right past one of them yesterday after having written this sermon. And sure, I have all sorts of rationalizations about where the money's going, how systemic generosity is going to make a more lasting change, the role of the government and the church, and so on. But that person is Jesus. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And when's the last time we visited someone in prison? I don't mean to condemn anyone. And I hope that we all hear passages like this and redouble our efforts to care for the least of these. All I'm saying is that passages like this one don't fill me with comfort. They convict me. They exhort me. They show me what a good and righteous life looks like. But they don't feel like a lessened burden. They feel like an added one. And of course, Jesus isn't done. Elsewhere, he tells me not to look at a woman lustfully in my heart. He tells me not to be angry or think someone a fool. He tells me to be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. So how is it possible to understand this Jesus as the same one who claims to be a light burden and an easy yoke? A Jesus who invites the weary to come to him for rest. And this is where the theology comes in. It's possible to understand this Jesus because Jesus is the word of God. And God speaks not in one way, but in two ways. So these Seemingly contradictory Jesuses are, in fact, not a contradiction. I was desperate as a young Christian to find some single thing that God was saying to me, some answer, as 
Douglas Adams wrote in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, to life, the universe, and everything. I wanted one thing. And that search for God to be saying one thing led me to see these two ideas that God was good news and that God was requirement and holiness. I saw them as contradictions. But they're not. God doesn't speak like the supercomputer in the Hitchhiker's Guide. He doesn't say just one thing. Our God speaks to us in two ways. He says two things. He has two words for us. He speaks to us in commandments like visit the prisoner. And he speaks to us in promises like I will give you rest. Commandments and promises. Things you must do and things that have been done for you. And it is only in understanding the distinction between the two, commandment and promise, and the fact that Christ the King embodies both, that God and His Word, which is Jesus, can really make sense. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, St. Paul writes a little couplet, just one sentence, that helps us understand this interaction between these two words of God. First, the commandment. The law, says St. Paul, came in to increase the trespass. Then the promise. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In light of God's two ways of speaking, the commandment and the promise, let us consider our word from God this morning and celebrate Christ the King. From our perspective, the story of the people who do and don't care for the least of these serves to remind us of our sin. It increases the trespass. We hear it and we remember every time we stepped around someone or avoided eye contact or thought less of someone because of their circumstances. These things are brought up for us when we hear this story. We are convicted. And I mean that in the old school courtroom sense of that word. Convicted when the judge brings the gavel down and renders the verdict. Guilty. But that's not all that's happening here. This story, because God speaks in two ways, and because Jesus is his word, this story is also a celebration of Christ the King. We are expected to care for those less fortunate than ourselves because that's exactly what Christ the King does. We are expected to do justice and love mercy because that's exactly who Christ the King is. He is the one who always feeds the hungry, who always provides drink to the thirsty, who always clothes the naked. He is the one who always welcomes the stranger, always cares for the sick, and always visits the prisoner. 
It is a requirement for us because it is true of him. That's good news. So Christ the King is holy, righteous, and perfect. He is worthy of worship, worthy of praise, and worthy of obedience. And, oh, that glorious and. And he is a good shepherd. And he is another kind of king, another kind of word. He is the word God speaks to us who fall short of his expectation, who crumble before the requirement. The word he speaks to those of us who keep our food and drink for ourselves, who don't welcome the stranger or visit the prisoner. God has a merciful word for us. And here, grace abounds all the more. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them. On the mountains of Israel, by the water courses, and in all the inhabited parts of the land, I will feed them with good pasture. The mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on the rich pasture of the mountains of Israel. This is a wonderful promise. I myself, says God, will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And yes, I know that the Lord goes on to say that he's going to judge between the sheep. But in this case, in Ezekiel 34, he's coming down for the lost, for the weak, for the needy. He is on the side of the scattered sheep, on the side of the lost, of the failure. This is the other face of Christ the King. Peace and comfort for wandering sinners. Christ the King as a welcome home. We have a Jesus with two faces, a King with two crowns. He is the almighty king with the jeweled crown who commands us to care for the least of these, to do justice and to love mercy, because that is the kind of love he is. He does justice. He loves mercy. And. And the chief way he shows his mercy is by setting aside his jeweled crown for a thorny one by not regarding as saint paul said his lofty status as something to be exploited no instead he lowered himself becoming a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep who lays down his life for the very people who fail to uphold his commandments who lays down his life 
for you and for me. And there are more amazing things to come. Christ the King isn't through with us yet. Because the thorny crowned king who lowered himself even to death on a cross brought our sinfulness onto that cross and into that tomb with him. And then when he was raised to new life, he raised us to new life as well. And now we are new creations. And as new creations in him, a miracle happens in us. We can hear about the holiness of God and not be afraid. We can love our neighbor and care for the least of these and do justice and be merciful, not out of our own strength, but on account of the new life we've been given in Christ. Here's the miracle in one sentence. In this resurrection life, the commandment has actually become the promise. In this resurrection life, the commandment has become the promise. We will feed the hungry. We will care for the needy. We will visit the prisoner. And why? Not because we've become good, but because Christ the King is actually living in us. So we celebrate. Jesus Christ, the cause of our celebration, the object of our worship is the Word of God. He speaks in two ways. He speaks commandments. And promises. He is holy and merciful. He is perfect and forgiving. He is truly Christ our King, the holy Son of God and the scourged and pierced Lamb, sacrificed for you, for me, the Savior of the world author of eternal life. Thanks be to God. Amen.